I thought Rob was going to say I left my Bible at home, but that's okay, I have it all memorized. (laughs) Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask today that, that we know you just a little bit better than we did yesterday. That we ask to know your deep peace uh, that runs through your good creation. The deep peace of quiet earth and bright stars and the deep peace that we find in the Son of Peace. Jesus, you are the Christ, the Christ of the poor, the homeless, the lost, the betrayed, the sick, the fearful, the lonely. We ask that you minister to us with your Holy Spirit today. You come close to us today so that we can come close to you. You have watched over us with care. You have shaped our soul with mercy. You give us your grace and you bless us with your light so that we may see clearly and see clearly how to serve one another. We ask you to shine on us with your love, Father, and we ask for the peace of Christ above all peace. We pray for for peace between nations, in tribes and between neighbors, peace between lovers, peace between husband and wife, parent and child, brother and sister, and peace with you. And so, Father, this morning we pray as the Celtics prayed, bless, O Christ, my face, let my face bless everything. Bless, O Christ, my eyes, let my eyes bless all they see. We end this day as the Son of Mary would end it. The grace of God be on this place and on all whom God has given us, who keeps watch over us this night, who but the Christ of love. Amen. When I, uh, I usually do, a, or try to do anyway, a, a retreat once a year in the fall, usually try to be it in the fall, or maybe I think this last time it was maybe more in August. And during that time, it's a week of basically solitude, and, uh, and it wasn't very, very silent last time, because I met this guy who came up from California on a motorcycle, and <laughs> we ended up spending a lot of time together and talking and stuff, and he was quite a talker, so it wasn't as silent as it usually is. But uh, during that time is when I usually kind of plan out and kind of spend some time in prayer over the week, and plan out the next year's uh, preaching schedule and topics and where we want to go, and so I kind of planned out, and Colossians really was on my heart, and so we, we went through Colossians, and then I had a couple other ideas that I was going to do, but the last few months, for some reason, the word hope kept coming up to me, and it just kept nagging at me, and uh, part of it because I just didn't, I was uncomfortable with it, I wasn't sure what we were getting at, what it is, what it means, and that kind of thing, and so I, I was talking this over with Sue. I was saying, you know, this is just keep dogging my mind. It's just in my heart, this idea of hope. And, and what do we do with hope? And uh, so we were talking about it. Then we went to England to visit my daughter and son-in-law. And, and Pete took us to an art museum uh, outside of Guilford where they live, in the, kind of in the countryside. And it was actually the, um, the home estate of the British artist um, uh, George Frederick Watts, named after George Frederick Handel. And so you go in, it's a beautiful place, beautiful estate, and you walk into the, 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 the big house, and there's some big, wonderful paintings right there as the, uh, as the guy that's kind of sort of overseeing, and he greets you and stuff. And then there's the big hall over to your left where ma- ma- many of the, uh, the major paintings are hanging. 
And so I'm looking at one right there as we enter, and, and uh, Sue comes out, and she goes, you got to come see this. And so we go back into that hall, and let's see here. And she shows me this painting, and it's called Hope. And evidently, uh, you know, it's kind of a sublime, sort of a fuzzy sort of painting, a little bit different than what he usually does, evidently. I don't, I'm no expert on art. Uh, but Hope is sitting on the globe, and she's sort of kind of blindfolded, almost completely blindfolded, and she's holding a lyre or a harp. Um, I think it's probably a lyre with just one string on it. And he called it Hope. And I'm looking at it going, looks more like despair to me. <laughs> And uh, supposedly what the thing is that uh, he painted this when the baby of his adopted daughter had just died. And his idea was based on a, a verse in Hebrews. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anger, anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine within the veil. And that's kind of a, kind of a cryptic verse in and of itself. But I think what he, what he was getting at and what I was explained to me and is that he painted this at the time of the, the death of this child and his idea is that even when everything is bleak, there is still a string that plays the chord. There's still a string that plays the music even in the times of death and especially this last week. And... Um, all the mixed emotions with, with, um, with Zach's uh, celebration of life service yesterday. And then I'm working on this sermon too, and it's kind of how they overlapped. And, and I, I, um, last night I put this in the PowerPoint. I said, I got to put the painting in uh, because that's what it feels like. Uh, when things are just bleak, and yet there's one string that still can play the, the note, can still play the music of hope. And so that's why we're here. Um, I just felt like even at that moment when we were in the, in the art gallery, the Lord's saying, duh, are you not getting this yet? And part of the reason is <clears throat> that hope is obviously a dominant theme in the scriptures, and it is an essential for human flourishing. And yet, I really don't know what it is. And I thought, I need to look into this and find out what hope is all about. And because it's kind of, um, in English, it's kind of lost the meaning. It's, it's sort of, uh, we'll get back to him in a minute. It's sort of lost the meaning of, of what is it actually talking about. What do we say when we have, uh, when we have hope? It's kind of a namby-pamby word in English. Uh, I hope it rains tomorrow, you know, because I need the rain or whatever. And it's really just an expression of our desire. And so I started looking into this and started looking into hope. And I was led to this, um, this guy, believe it or not, there is a Hope Research Center at the University of Oklahoma in Tulsa. I know. One guy studying hope. Now, I don't know where his spiritual background is. I don't know if he has any religious background or not. We're going to look at some of his conclusions in a little bit. But... I just found this, in the, and he was saying exactly what I feel like the Bible is saying and what God was saying to me about hope. And he talks about, he doesn't give me any details. I've read some of his papers and, and, heard, and listened to a couple of his lectures. Uh, you can get them on, on there. Um, 
And he said he had a very traumatic childhood. And he's always been interested in hope. And he doesn't say anything about Christianity, so I don't know where he's coming from. But he said, I've always been interested in hope because in my traumatic childhood, he loved baseball, and a little league coach, baseball coach, in the midst of this trauma, just put his hand on his shoulder and said, you're going to be okay. He didn't say, it's going to be okay. He said, you will be okay. And he said, that's really what changed me. And there was somebody who put hope in, in my heart that got me through that. And then as a, as a psychologist and researcher, somebody challenged him about this. And he said, but you can't quantify hope. You can't measure hope. And he said, I'm a bit of a contrarian. So I said, well, I'm going to measure it. <laughs> and so that's what he did. And that's what he started studying, um, studying hope. And I'm, I'm going to share some of these, some of these uh, conclusions. We're going to look... Probably in this whole series, we'll be going back to this guy, Chan Hellman, uh, because he had such wonderful insights. But hope is kind of a mamby-pamby word, and, and I've always had these questions about it, because um, I, I just don't know what it means. So I'm, what, I'm, what I'm telling you this morning is that we're on this journey together, that I'm going to be studying this and sharing what I feel like I've, I've learned and, and maybe learned from each other, because I'm, one of the things I am convinced that we do find and understand hope together. It is a we kind of thing that we look at it. Uh, some of my questions, uh, is hope just waiting for God to act? I mean, we have that one word in English, hope, but I just did I, my, my fancy-smancy computer, computer program. I did a quick re- uh, word search on hope, and there's at least four Hebrew words that we have translated hope, and possibly five. And so it's got a lot of nuances in the scriptures that the English word just doesn't have. Does hope require any human involvement at all? Or does it just sit back and let God do it all? Uh, What's the difference between hope and wishful thinking? I hope it doesn't rain is wishful thinking. Is it possible to increase a sense of hope in ourselves? Are there things we can do to to nourish that and nurture the idea of hope. Paul says three things remain, faith, hope, and love. How does hope relate to the other two? Is faith and hope synonyms? Are they kind of the same thing? Uh, does hope really make a difference in how we live? Or is it just something that's just a kind of an optimistic attitude? Can we still have hope if the facts argue against it? And how? How do we do that? What is unique about Christian hope? And is Christian hope like a spiritual fruit? Is it given by the Holy Spirit, or does hope help produce fruit of the Spirit? In other words, is it something that just falls on us, or we ask for it, or do we nurture it and it produces the fruit in our lives? And what is the opposite of hope? What is hopelessness, and how does it manifest itself? Is hopelessness ever a positive thing? So these are just some of the questions that, um, that I've come up with that just kind of bug me, and, and I'm trying to kind of figure out what this is all about. But like I said, our English word has kind of lost some meaning, and so you're going to find a lot of cheap knockoffs from the Christian world and the secular world of what hope is. And I apologize for the list, but um, it helps me keep my notes straight. <laughs> I'm cheating here. Uh, some cheap knockoffs. We are called not to be successful, but be faithful. You may have heard that. That's from Mother Teresa. 
And it's great. It's a great quote. We are called to be successful, not to be successful, but to be faithful. And that's great. But we also kind of secretly think that if I'm faithful, I'm going to be successful. And does this statement work when I'm doing something and it's a total failure? Can I really say in a positive attitude, okay, yeah, I'm just, but I'm, but I'm faithful. It's failing right before my eyes, but I'm being faithful. Is that, is that even a possibility? So long as you have enough hope and do your best, things will work out. Some of these things are true, we just don't define them correctly. We can do anything if we put our minds to it. I mean, how many times do we tell that to senior graduates, high school graduates? You can be anything. If you believe hard enough, things will work out just as you hoped. It's all about having enough faith. The only thing you can do is pray, but I mean really pray. And I say this one because this is what a dear Christian sister told my wife. Not in this church. She doesn't belong to this church, okay? Uh, she was talking about, she was, she was sharing to her about her burning mouth syndrome. And it goes on for years. If, if you're not familiar with what that is, it's some nerve thing that goes crazy. Um, unfortunately, it seems to affect postmenopausal women and other, than other, other people. And it's like carrying chilies in your mouth all the time. And sometimes it gets really excruciating where it just wants to drive you crazy. In fact, some people have actually committed suicide because it's that unbearable. We found a way to manage it, more or less. And she was sharing this with, with a dear sister who meant well. And she said, well, then the only thing you can do is pray. And Sue says, of course, I'm praying. And she goes, but really pray. And we're going, what does that mean? <laughs> how do you really pray? And, and what is that? how do we do that? Uh, so that's the hope. It's, uh, it's all going to be fine. Just wait for God to sort it all out. Uh, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. That's scripture, and that's true. But we have to define what that means. God will not give you more than we can handle. That's also scripture. But we have to define what that means. We have to unpack it. What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Thank you, Kelly Clarkson. These are all things that tell us about hope, but do they really, are they really that helpful? And, and yes, these, some of these things are true, but we, don't, we fail to make that concrete contact with flesh and blood. It just kind of remains sort of a, you know, sort of this noble saying that we sort of a, think sounds good, that we can put on a meme or a poster or something. So that's kind of where we're at. And the thing is, when things do fall apart and things do look bleak, that's when we need hope the most, and that seems to be where it escapes. And that's where Watt's painting comes in, that at least there is a string that still plays the hope. And I believe that it is a strong word, and it is a life-changing word, but we need fortitude, we need wisdom, we need each other to sort of help each other through this and help us maintain that hope in our lives and so that it changes. The alternative is despair. And if we fall into despair, we've lost. We can't win. So it's that important. Uh, I was not raised in a theology of despair. Um, my dad, who was sort of the resident theologian in our house, he did not live by despair. He always lived with hope. It was always going to be better tomorrow than it is today. And he took action to do it. And some of it, it was probably himself. He was a total workaholic. 
but he had that mentality. And what I think it is that hope is not this one, two, three, and you've got hope. Follow these steps and you can have it. I think it's more of a, like a diamond of looking at it at different facets. And I need the way that you look at it. And, I, and you need the way that I look at it. And we all need the way that God looks at it. And how does he see it? And how does he do it? And what is he doing for us and in us and through us? That I really believe that it takes all of us. So I want to ask you just for a minute, it's going to take maybe 30 seconds here. You don't have to say anything. But I'm just going to ask you, I think one of the best places to start is just to spend some time and, and think, what is it that gives you hope? Just in silence for about 30 seconds. What is it that gives you hope? It could be, if you're a teacher, a, a, a new class coming in, you know, in September or something like that. Just what is it that gives you hope? I'm not going to ask you to share it because uh, well, maybe I get it wrong or something. Um, but I have to admit, when we were visiting um, Katie and Pete, their dog gave me hope just because she was so excited to see us when we came home. And that, for some reason, made me feel good about tomorrow. <laughs> and um, it was really kind of funny she was uh, she was a rescue dog a street dog and she's just so excited to be in a home and stuff but she gets at night sometimes she reverts back to those days when she was living under a van and gets very very careful with her 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 territory and yet to be careful and she did this with me i was over there going to try to pet her and she started growling you know and um katie got on to her you know and, and so sat down and then she walks over for me to pet her head, and then she goes back to her bed, and it's almost as if, and Pete said he, she does this all the time, that she'll get really defensive, but then she realizes, and she comes over to apologize. <laughs> and she goes, oh, sorry, I've got issues. I'm sorry. <laughs> and for some reason, that dog gave me hope. It just was brought some kind of, I don't know, optimism or pleasure. But getting back to Chan Hellman, and the power of hope. Uh, it, is, it is powerful. And what he's done is he studied it, and he's, he's, he makes this, this statement that's pretty bold, but he says hope is the best predictor at how a person will flourish in life. That hope is the best predictor of how a person will flourish in life. That hope matters. That is fundamental to our capacity to enjoy life, to flourish in life, to be successful. He says the, he's, he's classified people as high hope people who, who maintain high hope. And he says these people, they see pathways to their goals. They make goals. They, they, they take action about it. They, they actually enjoy life. They, they look forward. Tomorrow is going to be better than today. It's not that they're just giddy or anything, but they're making steps to progress. And he says the low hope bucket, 
the people that are low hope, he says they, they see nothing but deficiencies. They have trouble identifying pathways to where they want to go. And if there's an obstacle, they give up or they don't see any other alternative. Uh, they're not very good at making goals or long-term goals. Um, they feel blocked. They feel like failures. Um, they, um, they have a, a negative effect on themselves and a negative effect on other people. They tend to end up quitting, not doing anything. They're high on anxiety and depression. Uh, they have negative behavior for themselves, and it even damages other people. And it's because, and this common thing is that they have this low hope kind of attitude. And he looks at programs, service programs, and he says the ones that are most successful are the ones that also give hope. It's not just a matter of handing people a box of canned goods. It's something that helps them get hope that they can face tomorrow. And he says that's where they see the most progress. They see a de decrease in, in, uh, in parental abuse of children, child abuse. They see a de decrease in domestic abuse. They see a decrease in substance abuse. They see less depression. They see people getting on and, 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 and moving forward in their life. And he said what got me onto this, what he, Chan Hellman says this, that he was meeting with a group in Tulsa of a bunch of men who were um, uh, HIV positive. And he met one guy, one 19-year-old guy, who uh, he, he, was, he was tested positive for HIV. He had AIDS, and his parents kicked him out of the house. And he was living under a bridge in Tulsa, but he had full of hope. And he saw this guy move out from under the bridge and get on with his life because of hope. And he said, there's something going on here about hope that is essential to us as flourishing human beings. He said it is that, that powerful. And he says it's, um, it's a mental framework, a positive mental framework that predicts the flourishing of a life. And it is a social gift. We'll get there in a minute. This finally gets us back to 1 Peter that Rob read earlier. He says, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have within you. And if we don't know what that is, then this verse is meaningless. I've heard this verse used quite a bit in the role of apologetics. That uh, we've got to be prepared to scientifically prove creationism or scientifically prove that the resurrection happened or, or socially, you know, historically prove. And we see it as apologetics. And apologetics is this, this uh, science or this practice of proving Christian faith. And I'm all for that. That's, that's okay. I'm convinced, though, it's only for Christians. <laughs> because I don't know many people who are convinced, saying, well, really, I'm just looking for enough evidence. And you give me enough evidence. Okay, yeah, you're right. I think I'll go with that one. I don't think that hardly ever happens. It may happen sometimes. But what he's saying is, be, give a reason to give hope, to explain the hope that is within you. And if Peter knows anything about that, if anybody knows anything about it, it's Peter. Because Peter did that exactly in Acts chapter 3. And he says, <clears throat> he says uh, do not be terrified or shaken, uh, but let Christ as, uh, apart uh, as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that is in you, that what you possess. And yet do it with courtesy, respect, keeping a good conscience, so that those who slander your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame when they accuse you. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if God wills it, than doing evil. This happened to Peter and John. 
In Acts chapter 3, they heal a crippled man, a crippled beggar. And they knew something was up. And of course, it threatened the powers that be, and so they arrested them. And we have the discourse of Peter explaining this, giving a reason for the hope that is within him. And you're thinking, okay, what Peter is asking us to do is to share hope. That's what we give. That's what we have to offer, is to share hope with people. It is this unique thing that is Christian. And he's saying that, like Paul was saying in Colossians, you are a tilted mirror that you are to reflect the goodness of God to the world. The world is watching us. And Paul and Peter both say, tilt this mirror to show the goodness of God. So what can we deduce from all this? That hope begins with the new creation. If you go back to Acts, what does Peter explain? The resurrection. And it's not just the resurrection of life after death. What Peter is saying is that this is the launch of the new creation. And yes, this is what makes, in my mind, this is what makes Christian hope unique. That we get a glimpse of the future. That the scriptures and the resurrection and the gospel gives us a glimpse of what God is doing. And that's not just information that we pass on. We say, well, yeah, God's going to create this new heaven and new earth. And, you know, that's our hope. And so, okay, that's great. But what do I do about no job tomorrow? And what he's saying is that the new creation, what we do as Christians is give them a glimpse of the future. We give them a glimpse, have them look, not just with telling them about the resurrection, but showing them this new creation, that this is how it works. This is what the new creation is going to look like. Healing people. And sorry, Ron, I didn't know you were going to be here this morning. And I was going to embarrass you. <laughs> but I'm going to embarrass you anyway. I was talking with Ron uh, yesterday, and he was talking about the poverty that he, he works in in, in uh, South Carolina. And how they treat everyone. And I'm going, that's the new creation. That's how it's supposed to work. We are to give people a glimpse of the kingdom now. And that's how we share our hope. And Peter goes on to kind of give us, some, give us some ways to do that. He says, express belief with conviction and kindness. Conviction and kindness. Not just going in saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You are convicted. You are, you have your, you are sure of who you are but you also do it with kindness and civility. You start with openness and respect. I got this from David French, by the way. Just give him credit for that. He says, start with openness and respect. Be genuinely curious about the person. Learn about them. If you are, if you are secure in a, as a Christ follower, that's okay. You can understand that. Be curious, respect them, ask about them, fear not. God has given us a spirit of, of confidence, not fear. And if you are sure in the most fundamental identity as a follower of Christ, you can do this. We can do this. 
Don't think that if I talk to some non-Christian and, and he's uh, some philosopher and I'm going to listen to some philosophy and go, oh yeah, you're right, boy, I'm done. You know, that's not true. If you're secure, fear not. Fear not. Remember what you're sharing. You're sharing hope. You're not trying to win an argument. You're sharing hope. I'm going to put a quote up here. <clears throat> and it says, uh, the gross national product, the GNP, which is how we kind of measure the health of the nation, does not allow for the health of our children. Does the, the, the quality of their education or the joy of their play, it does not include the beauty of our poetry as the strength of our marriages the intelligence of our public debate or the integrity of our public officials. If measures neither our wit nor our courage, neither our wisdom nor our learning, neither our compassion nor our devotion to our country. It measures everything, in short, except that which makes life worthwhile. Robert Kennedy said that in 1968 in a campaign speech. And I don't know if he realized it or not, but he was talking about kingdom values. And this is what we all hope for. And I believe in all my heart that it comes out of hope. Hope in the gospel. That we can measure our economy, we can measure the gross national product, but the stuff that's really important, that comes from hope. That comes from from trust in the gospel of what God is doing. That he has given us this glimpse of a new heaven and new earth. And we are to give that glimpse, that picture, to the people around us. To each other, to our neighbors, the people who, who, um, who oppose us. That's what we show them. That's what we measure. That's what's most important to measure. The economy is important. But the stuff that makes life worthwhile is based on hope. And nothing symbolizes the hope like communion. And so we are going to celebrate communion this morning uh, together. It is a symbol, a symbol of hope. Uh, Dr. Jim Wilder, he is a neurotheologian. I didn't even know that was a career path. <laughs> but evidently he's a neuroscientist who also studies theology. And he says that um, organisms attach themselves to each other for a couple of reasons, especially humans. He says, first of all, they attach themselves to each other by food. You feed somebody, and they're going to be attached to you. All you got to do is put food out to feed the chipmunk outside, and he will always return. It attaches yourself. The dog attaches herself. She gets food. He said the other way that we attach to other people is joy. And I thought that was really interesting. That if you express joy in the presence of someone else, that person will naturally be attracted to you and be attached to you. Just like the dog. <laughs> you give the dog joy, you pet him and you scratch her ears, and she's attached. She's attached to you. 
And so I got to thinking about that, and I, and I got, you know, Jesus was way ahead of his time. <laughs> because what did he leave us with? He left us with a supper. He left us with food. And uh, he left us with communion that we celebrate together. Supposedly a joyous event. And so with communion, with food and joy, we attach ourselves to each other. And we attach ourselves to Jesus Christ. So we're going to do this in a symbolic way, as uh, taking, taking the bread and the wine. And Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and said, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he gave him the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this until I return. So we're doing it. We're going to do this until Jesus comes back. So we're going to do it by intention. This is what we do on the first Sunday. And I like doing it this way because it's brothers and sisters offering the bread to each other. And uh, so uh, Artie and Brenda are going to help us and Bill's going to help us uh, this morning. And um, we're just going to ask you to come and take the bread. There's um, gluten-free and there's uh, non-gluten-free. And we just ask that you dip it in the juice and take it. There's also the little kits here. If you'd rather do that, that's perfectly fine as well. And uh, those are available. So I'm going to ask Bill and, and uh, Artie and Brenda if you guys will come on up.